0: The Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. Latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show. I am so excited today to have back uh, on the show uh, one of the most uh, powerful. Uh, neuropsychiatrist in the world that's just my personal opinion but I think it's been uh, said by Oprah and a few other people her name is Dr. Luanne Brizding and she is the author of the male brain uh, and the female brain and many other books about the brain and she is just amazing how are you at
1: UCSF at the uh, our new uh, parents program at the UCSF medical center
0: Fantastic, fantastic, and uh, that's in San Francisco, is that right?
1: That's in San Francisco. It's in up on the hill on Parnassus at University of California, San Francisco. So not a bad place.
0: Not a bad, not a bad gig if you can get it, right? <laughs>
1: that's right, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so in our last conversation, we talked about the female brain, which uh, was fascinating, and, and, and as a matter of fact, I think that was a near or close to Mother's Day. As we near and approach pharmacy I thought it would be apropos to have you come back and we talk about the daddy brain.
1: Oh, why uh, that, that sounds brain. like a good idea.
0: Uh, it's, who, who knew? Who knew? Uh, so uh, what I want to talk to you about particularly is, uh, you know, reading uh, the male brain, uh, one was just fascinating. It was, uh, you know, I look at it and I say, that's me. I'm a guy. This is me. This is what's going on with me and what has happened over the years.
1: Did you learn anything new?
0: Well, I, did I learn anything new? I think I – well, both. I learned things new, and I got confirmation on a lot of things that was going on, you know. So when I told you to talk about the daddy brain, it was fascinating because uh, we normally think that when a uh, woman is bearing, bearing child – that it is just completely a female thing, and there's nothing hormonally that changes in a male's brain, but that is absolutely not true.
1: No, it's not true. What did you find out about that for yourself?
0: Well, I'm not a dad yet, but I have a nonprofit where I work with a bunch of kids, so I feel like a dad, so I feel like there's a hormonal change. What I did realize with myself after I hit a certain age, I... It, it, something changed in me where I wanted to give back, have legacy teach uh and and help children and it was something that just i it just came over me now you would probably tell me that is normal and a hormonal change.
1: Yeah, well, you know, a lot of, so so women get a thing they call baby lust at a certain phase. sometimes, when kind of all the biology, you often have a sister or some friend who has a new baby, and then within three or four months, you're finding yourself, you know, thinking about babies, smelling all kinds of things about babies, hallucinating babies, all that kind of stuff. And you guys, uh, I I think that there's some, some men start getting a bit of that. They really start getting the urge to be a dad.
0: That is amazing. So... The other thing that that we uh, you and I discussed um briefly is the importance of having the father or daddy present uh, in critical time frames uh, of that of that baby 's evolution uh that 's essential for the mommy and daddy to both be present. Talk to us about. That aspect of it, because well, yeah, I think never, that one of I mean, the one it's of the sense, yeah, but you not hear about it. So you know, I think one of the things, of, things I, one of the
1: things I really encourage new couples to do is that the that the daddy brain is something that gets hormonally formed as well if the dad is. Um, physically you know holding the baby and you know interacting face to face with the baby and tickling Mm -hmm. tickling the baby and giggling with the baby playing with the baby so that face to face and also kind of just you know the skin to skin and face to face is everything for the babies brain development
0: but yeah, yeah, yeah. also
1: for the dad ends up having you know hormones like prolactin and changes in their testosterone a whole lot of things that happen to the dad too that starts to hormonally change some of the brain circuits changing his brain into the daddy brain but at the same time the baby brain is interacting and reacting to the dad's face and the dad's voice the smells of a dad the feel of the dad the dads are a little rougher with babies than moms are and and you know how babies will giggle and laugh at that. So that that whole like interaction, back and forth, face to face, tickling, giggling, kind of roughhousing as they get a little older, all of that is actually building the baby and the child's brain circuits, and at the same time no. building some of the dads. So you, as a dad, actually have um, a role to play in building the brain circuits of your of your kid.
0: Now that is absolutely amazing because I don't think anybody has, uh, well not anybody, but most people haven't heard of this. Uh, and, uh, what scares me when I hear this is, well there's just a huge amount of non-present past. Well, if
1: you listen to Barack Obama, you know i mean he i mean I think one of the things I got a hand to him as a you know person really interested in how we build the brains of our next generation and how dads That's are good. so important for that is that um uh, there's two things: dads have to want to be there, but there's another thing that I will tell all of your dads out there listening on your show it 's that you know dads have to insist on it cuz the and the moms have to be willing to not push the dads away because they think they can do it better or more efficiently cuz you know efficiency isn't everything i will say that to the moms listening mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the moms have to realize that part of building the baby's best brain circuits requires that they also interact with the dad in this kind of way so that mm-hmm. so that the the um you know, there's a lot of tension often between couples, and, you know, moms are often really angry at the dads for not helping more, or not doing this, or not doing that. You know, when mm-hmm. moms moms are overwhelmed, and there's one person that they can be easily angry at, and that's the dad. So yeah. the, tens, the tension between the couple is not good for the development of the baby's brain. The mom needs to be willing at a very early stage to hand off the baby to the dad. Let the dad be with the baby alone for a couple of hours. You know, there's this new thing called Daddy Boot Camp. Did we talk about Daddy Boot Camp? So Daddy Daddy Boot Camp is a, is a, it's actually a grassroots movement around the country. And the reason I knew about it is a guy one some of the guys that were are running your mail brain book for our course and we're teaching this and we're teaching the and they wanted to know if they had got it right on a the diagram they were drawing. I said, Oh wow, this is beautiful, you did a great job. So what they do is they have they have the budget dads as their partner is pregnant, they've already had their baby. Their baby is three or four weeks old. Those dads bring their baby back to the guys who haven't had theirs yet. Jeez. And they change those, the next group of guys, how to change the diaper on their own three week old baby. So they, wow. it's basically peer to peer learning. And if you will, and if you will notice, I mean, one of the, you know, one of the biggest stumbling blocks in a guy's mind for being a dad is the changing of the diaper.
0: That's a huge thing. That's huge.
1: And remember, a, you know, a little tiny baby ha- doesn't have a dump like a huge dog. I mean, that's you know, they have, they have a little, they have a little, they have a little fudge stripe, maybe you know. <laughs>
0: So it's not as as, as, as dramatic as, as it no, no and to actually
1: the 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 actual baby little brand new baby baby feces do, doesn 't start to smell until about six months old okay. so in okay. the first six months, the feces of babies don't smell because they don't have the interior bacteria like we have you know once you get you know all the the good healthy bacteria that we get in our g i tract they don 't have it yet, so mm-hmm. actually that 's where the smell comes from and it and the but babies don't little newborns don't have them. They don't have it till up to about four to six months. So oh, wow. you dads just you know it's not like you don't have it's it's, it's just not a, it's not what you think it is. So these these daddy boot camp these daddy boot camp guys just basically teach you how to get down dirty and get the get the job get it, get it done. How to how to get it done, you know.
0: Get her done. Get her done. <laughs> nice. Now this sounds wonderful, right? Because. Uh, it's, it's, it's positive and it's wonderful and it, and it and it's, and it's, I think, uh, bringing back, uh, coupledom, uh, and uh, reinforcing relationships and marriages and, uh, but there's also an opposite side to this, uh, and a reality to this, and, and that is there's a huge, uh, degree of absentee, absentee, uh, fathers and even in some cases absentee mothers. Um, the question is,
1: and it's part of the spiral in poverty.
0: And we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, how to get of, how to
1: get the next generation out of poverty may have to do with really working with the parents on the bonding with them with their child to build a, the best brain possible of the next absolutely. generation. Absolutely, I
0: yeah. totally agree with that. That is incredibly powerful. Uh, the question is, is that so? The children who uh, are born. Uh, without our dads, uh, what are the deficits uh, that may occur or occur, and is there any way to correct it later on in life, or are we really talking about certain aspects of a child's development that is lost forever?
1: So that's a good question, and I don't I don't believe anything ever gets lost forever because the brain is the brain is an amazing place. It it can accommodate and get get it can get better in better circumstances, and it gets worse in worse circumstances. So <laughs> let's let's say that you were born. Let's say you are born to a a you're born in poverty to a an a, you know an uh, quote unquote. Unwed teenage mother who didn't know what the heck she was doing, and your grand mm-hmm. maybe your grandmother or your aunt maybe you were kind of raised by a bunch of different women, and you didn't know real dad in your fa in your in your in your life or not very many adult men around at all. Maybe who knows, right? Maybe maybe somebody like you or somebody like a teacher or college counselor, but nobody that was kind of like nobody who's got your back like your own dad. I think that a lot of a lot of kids gravitate towards. You know, male teachers or male figures in their in in their educational system. This those are so important. Like you know that most teachers in the kindergarten through third grade are females, but if we could get more guys to go into that grade group, you know that would be fabulous. If we mm-hmm. had the you know boys and girls clubs or places like that that are in inner cities that can have you know more more guys who are volunteering. And guys of any age, you know, once there's a lot of, you know, just even guys who want to, you know, volunteer one afternoon a month after they've retired from the fire department or something, you know, there's mm-hmm. a,
0: you know, kids. So this need, really makes a huge difference.
1: Kids just need to be around guys, and it's a very, it, it's a, guys have a different way of seeing the world. Than females do, mm-hmm. and and kids kids need both oh. at every stage of their life Every stage mm, of
0: their life Every stage,
1: okay. I mean, even when you get to be your ripe old age or my ripe old age, right? I mean, there there's something different about the male looking at the world through male colored glasses versus looking at the world through female colored glasses, and we all need both in our lives.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well. This kind of moves into uh, uh the previous discussion uh on the effects of systemic uh poverty uh and generational poverty uh that you know creates a real disproportionate amount of uh single mothers um, what uh, th- what happens to the brain? Um, uh, both the mother and the child, as a result uh, of that child being raised uh, uh, to uh, basically survive.
1: So I think if you can have your whole audience and, and and you and I all think together about about that we're all putting ourselves into the that the body and brain of that baby for just a minute, and if she mm-hmm. and the baby's got like let's say, you know, let's say the, there's the mother. And the mother, the mother—that that all of your information about the world, and your food, and your warmth, and your clothing, and your comfort—and you know, all those—all those things are coming to you through that through that mom. Mm-hmm. If that mom is a fabulous mom, a really let's say she's a super mom that she's that she's able to supply all of your needs and all of your kind of you know stimulation face to face as a baby, and to laugh with you and giggle with you, and to also sing to you and put you down and give you the right amount of food and all and let's say breast milk, all the good stuff. All mm-hmm. you you as a baby, you're getting all this good stuff from this amazing mom, right? Mhm. Mhm. That's what we want every baby to have. Now, how does a mom be a mom that's the best she can be? The only way she's able to do that with her baby is if that she is supported by a whole like village of people, and both in her home and in her community, that are supporting her to be able to be that kind of mom. Mm-hmm. Meaning, she's got to have the food, the resources, the the TLC, the advice, the help. The you know, she's got to know that when she needs something and turns somewhere, she can get it right away, so that then she can be the most stable, best mom she can, as she turns back to the baby to give that baby what it needs.
0: Mhm. That's huge.
1: So we, we kind of call this like it's almost like if you look at concentric circles, right? The baby being in the center of that, but and the mom being the one that's surrounding the baby. And if if there's a dad that's in there with the mom, providing all the stuff that. The nest needs for Mom to be as healthy and good a mom as she can be, and the Dad is able to interact with the baby and to help you know keep what they call home and hearth together you know he's he 's bringing home the bacon supplying the whatever i mean that 's a huge he can 't do it alone, and the couple can 't do it alone the couple needs to be surrounded by their family or their community or, you know, just other people that are supplying them with the needs that they have so that that little baby in the circle can grow into be the best brain, the best possible little human being so that the next generation has a chance.
0: Mm -hmm. That's
1: what you call the real leg up. Giving someone a leg up is what we're talking about right here from the moment that baby is born. Even if it's to a single mom, as long as that mom has circles of, of people caring for her so that she can care for the baby, that's what we're talking about. You can't let the mom get depressed and down and you know, having to have her turn to either drug and alcohol or to, you know, prostitution or whatever it is to get the basic needs she needs for herself and the baby. That You can't go down that path because it only leads to a whole other generation of the same old, same old.
0: Sure, sure, sure. And we're talking about love, and love is not is not necessarily enough, even though, of course, that mother loves that child and wants everything and the best for that child. Right. But we're not talking about that. We're, we're, we're talking about uh, basic Uh, Hormonal and biological needs. And
1: you know, the cool thing that we've learned in science of getting down to the basics in the DNA is that the DNA actually, if you get everything you need as a kid like that, you're that baby getting all that wonderful, good stuff from the mom and maybe some from the dad and from the, you know, all those. The DNA actually ends up being the healthiest it can be, mm-hmm. and and if if you have deficits, if you get either abused or you don't get enough food or you don't have a that face-to-face playful interaction with an adult face, um, your DNA basically be, is a bit more degraded than mm-hmm. people who don't have that, and it... Then what happens with that baby as it grows up? If you, they pass on that DNA to the next generation. So we're, <laughs> what we're talking about is like truly the, the DNA transmission from generation to generation of the stigmata of poverty
0: <laughs> is <laughs> actually
1: in the DNA. Now we realize.
0: Oh my God! Now you're in my neighborhood here, Doc, uh, and and what I'm fighting for. Um, Well, about ten years ago, uh, I I, one of my good friends, Terry Williams, uh, wrote a book uh, called Black Pain. It just looks like we're not hurting, and it was the first time that I uh, heard or read. Well, first time I heard that she suffered from depression from uh, a multitude of reasons. But uh, it was also a a piece on 60 Minutes that they they discovered, especially uh, in, in poor communities, African American communities, that um there's a you know a, a hum of depression uh mental depression uh both moderate to severe, and in some cases in many cases even post traumatic stress disorder uh among impoverished uh people uh which uh, attributes to uh you know this systemic generational poverty uh, as well as what you're just talking about the DNA now that being said i Started doing some research, and I found out that there is a part of the brain uh, you and I discussed uh, uh, previously uh, that, when that part of the brain is compromised, uh, it can't handle uh, the level of stress, of systemic stress, that uh, severe depression or uh, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder depression syndrome uh, can't can't handle. When that child or the, or the mother and the child is dodging bullets just to go to the grocery store, not knowing how they're going to eat the next day, uh, you know, all the, the plethora of things that come with uh, abject poverty. Talk to us about this part of the brain and how it does affect the DNA. Uh, and is it, it we call it the VMPFC or you, got, well, you guys call it the VMPFC or the ventromedial prefrontal cortex? Uh can this part of the brain be rebooted somehow?
1: So the nice thing about that, I mean, you know, this issue of so we do know the cool thing that we do know that is if you if you have a child who's been like let's say living in fear and poverty and mm-hmm. like you're talking about living basically in a battle zone, a war zone Mm -hmm. all the time, just scraping by to get the basic needs, but that if you can do something before that child is age 11 um, to start to have situations in which there is safety and comfort, that you can reverse a lot of that earlier damage.
0: Wow. Wow. So to
1: me, that argues for things that are 5th, 6th grade you know to to really concentrate on that on that age kid, you know, starting at about like ten that ten to twelve year old kid, both boys and girls that right that right before the surge into puberty, if you can do something that gives them more like kind of i mean I'm thinking like even if you had a room at the school where there's a kind of You know, comforting older social worker who brings cookies, or with a a Mm -hmm. bunch of couches, Mm -hmm. with a lounge where the kids can just go in and hang out, and you know, it's a safe place. Maybe one for the girls and one for the boys, because they don't at that stage. It's kind of they don't like to. That's the stage before they really like to be. Around each other. Remember, right, like girls, right. the girls have cooties. That stage, the girls. if you get them—but the girls have cooties stage. <laughs>
0: there, there's still hope.
1: There's still hope. So, and you know, so so, if we can put some of our resources into finding a way to find them, let them have some place where there's a safe comfort zone, even just for an hour a day, to reverse some of that damage.
0: So you're saying, though, or are you saying, uh, just to be clear, that if a child is not um, exposed to that environment to be able to reboot by age 10, between age 10 and, and, and 12, are they a lost cause? No of course they're
1: not at a lost cost but I'm just saying that if we were you know it's kind of like you push on the you push on the lever at the stage at which you get the maximal amount of sort of rebooting
0: okay. you know, for the okay. least
1: amount of effort it would be the 10 to 12 so I'm saying like let's go from where we could Put some resources to get the most leverage for the least amount of, you know, action to, to sure, help sure. to reboot. But sure. then there's this rebooting all the way along. You know, some of these programs, these outward bound programs, the programs where you take a kid for, you know, whatever, a couple. I mean, t- to me, it's better to have the consistency of a place they know to go where it's a safe zone, you know, one hour every day or, a, you know, Ongoing,
0: right? The outward right.
1: bound, the thing where you go for two weeks in the middle of the summer, where you take a bunch of kids from the inner city to to some camp in the woods or something. That's also really really nice, but you need to have something that's a regular place for them. So it's there's a all of those
0: an event things. and an experience in terms of the saturation point or period for this to go on to really lock into the brain. Is what you're saying,
1: right? So, but but it, so the nice thing between ages 10 and 20. That ten year span. Even if things didn't go so well from the first ten years, if you can get some things going right from age ten to twenty, there is some hope.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And there's hope for the that 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 person to be able to start to heal any of the damages that were done so it's not a lost cause and it's not even a lost cause by the time we hit 40 or 50 i mean many people that have you know new starts in life all the way along so Mm -hmm. i don't think Mm -hmm. it's i don't think it's ever too late
0: sure i call it bounce back power absolutely
1: But I'm trying to think together with you about how you, when the brain is at its still, when the brain is still sprouting all these connections and there's all kinds Mm -hmm, of connections mm -hmm. that are easily made, Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. which is
1: before the age of 20. Mm -hmm. uh, So
0: talk to me about then the the VMPSC because that is a, uh, when when I found that out, that was like a massive aha moment for me. Uh, why I don't know. I think it was just because of knowing that there that it's an actual part of the brain that uh, uh, does this, as opposed to, oh, this is just the way it is, and there's nothing else better. So uh, tell me,
1: tell me what part about it that you learned that the, the, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, the vmPFC.
0: Well, if I understand correctly, it's it's kind of like, uh, almost like the switch that handles our our handles our stress and gives us the ability to handle. Stressful situations, and so as a result of being able to handle stressful situations, uh, we make better decisions for ourselves. Uh, whereas if this part of the brain gets shut off or, or uh, you know over-circuited or compromised, uh, that uh, it, it weakens and lessens in its ability to handle stress, therefore creating uh, learned helplessness or attributing to learned helplessness causing us not to make the best decisions uh, for our lives, causing uh, a teenage girl to say, hey, it's okay to have a child by four or five different fathers uh, and to get government subsidy for that. Uh, right. It's okay to bounce from one bad relationship to the next bad relationship. It's what I am and who what I deserve, and that's okay. Uh, it's, you know, so... How am I doing here? So that doc? little. Oh so yeah. So, so that Who, part. So, <laughs> so so yeah.
1: So you're doing you're doing fabulous. You've got you just you've got the exactly right idea. So if you've got this, you know if you've got if you've got so that area of the brain has an idea of what we all think of ourselves and hope for ourselves, and we are matching up what our you know giving that girl an image of what she might be able to hope to be is. Really important that 's why this issue of role models is so important, but that so let 's go back to that particular area of the brain because when you're a baby, that area of the brain is is, is not very developed and it's only mm-hmm. it's only an on and off switch it's like you're either not under stress or you're under horrible stress and you're you're wailing you're wailing and screeching away until someone comes to help decrease the stress mhm
0: you either, mm-hmm. either
1: food or whatever it is. Now, as we get older and older, it's almost as if that becomes, the dial becomes, you can turn it from zero and you might have a two and then a ten, you know. So you might, all the way adding more little gradations of notches to it. So by the age of 20 to 25, let's say that's a volume turn. You can go from zero, but you have all the little indications in between of the volume all the way up to a volume of 10, right? Mm -hmm. And you can modulate that. You're able to turn that dial and hold that dial in different positions by the time you're 20 if things have gone well enough in your life that you've actually learned to do that, right? Right. And that you feel mastery over your life, you can control your stress, you do not have post traumatic stress, you know you don't you know you have a way to to control your brain's mm-hmm. perception of stress mm-hmm. now that's wonderful. we hope everybody at twenty has all of those gradations between zero and ten right
0: right right. if you get
1: somebody that gets to be twenty and they only have an on and off switch, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, especially especially if they've got an Uzi in exactly. their hands.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you
1: get then you get all kinds of horrible things happening like we've seen in the media. But I so this ventromedial prefrontal cortex is the it's it's kind of like the braking system of the brain where you can you when you're a baby you can either have the brakes are off or the brakes are jammed on all the way. As you get older, you learn how to to manage and drive your own car of your brain. And Lots of times you have to have some people teach you and help you how to to do that. Or you watch older people that seem to be able to do that, and you try to imitate them. You know, one of the things primate brains, and human brains are primate brains, the thing way we learn the best, guess what it is? It's by imitation.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. imitation
1: of our peers, or imitation of peers who are just a little bit older than we are.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are what
1: we do, so if you've got a girl that's eleven or twelve and she's got a cousin that's got two kids by different fathers already, and she's getting you know she's collecting her checks from the government, and that girl's looking like that's a pretty good way to live life um, that imitation that imitation's right in front of her, and sure. she's admiring say of that cousin or whatever then 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 you know what's the most likely she doesn't have any other model.
0: So so what you're saying is uh and I've heard of this uh and, and have done some research on this this uh, uh science known as memetics. Uh so what you're saying is there's actually a, 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 a DNA correlation between uh how we kind of pass on our story by imitation, uh, to someone else.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Wow. wow. Well, well, Doc. Uh, so,
1: so we can rewrite our story. So we can rewrite that, that yeah, ventra- The ventromedial, we, we, we Yeah, that's a
0: problem now. Now, yeah. let's talk about some solutions here. How can we? How this this off and on switch that that, that you know as, as a result of systemic, uh, uh, you know, stress and environment and and, and what have you. Uh, and, and also, I think we should make the differentiation too that uh, if you have been born into this quote-unquote post-traumatic stress disorder of, of poverty, of abject poverty, uh, there is a difference when we talk about, when we usually hear the term P.S., the post-traumatic stress disorder, we think of um, uh, war veterans. Um, right
1: PTSD is a one it 's been worked worked out in terms of what happens to the brain mostly in people who 've been in in wartime situations and in combat yeah. but yeah. its also but we also know that it it, it it happens much more profoundly of course in in different ways. When you're younger and you're growing up in abject poverty, and you're walking to the grocery store through, a, you know, through through bullets, and you're you're having to, you know, be in lockdown in your house every yes, night just yes, for safety, yes. and you know, you never know right. who's going to do a drive-by, and right. you never know who's going to be, you know, basically selling on the corner, and you never, right. you know, you just try to keep out of harm's way. Basi- yes, basically, yes. you've been born into and you've been growing up in a war zone.
0: And, and see, I, I'm so happy that you you put it into that term. Because uh, there's also a difference between, uh, and and, and please, if you could, define uh, the, the difference between being born into a war zone versus going to a war. When you had an opportunity to have, quote-unquote, a normal VMPSC.
1: You know, you got a lot of a lot of the good you, – you, you grew up in a situation where you had enough safety, enough food, enough clothing, shelter. You didn't have to walk through to a hail of bullets to to go to school or to come home at night, whatever. And you then go into a war zone. And so your brain isn't immunized in a way to mm-hmm. being in a war zone and it mm-hmm. be can and so that kind of person in terms of what they come back they know something's completely, you know, wrong with their brain. If mm-hmm. you've grown mm-hmm. up with, if you've grown up with it from the time you're a child, your brain has adapted and grown up and built. You think about it. How, you think about how a, a tree that grows around, a, that has to grow up around a wall or something, it ends up not being straight up. It ends up being curved around something, but it keeps growing towards the light. And if you are grown up in poverty and in in growing up in a war zone, so to speak speak in one of our inner cities where that's that's your world you you know you've, you've grown up adapting you don't have post traumatic stress in the normal way because you've even you've, you've
0: adapted to a crooked world mhm mhm so uh to put that in context uh uh these young boys killing uh young boys and young people uh they they don't have any remorse. They don't even know what that is because that's part of the adaptation of being born into this.
1: Right. That's what they see. That's what their older peers are doing, their older cousins are doing. And, you know, they, they, they feel loyalty, say, to one group or one gang or the other, and they, there's, there's, not, not, there's not the experience of another option. You have to have some experience growing up of another option to even be able to have that part of your brain think about another option.
0: <laughs> if you have never seen
1: another if you have never seen the ocean yourself and experienced it and experienced how it smells, how the spray feels, how the water you know, you may see it on television, you may see all those parts of it, but you don't you don't have that experience of it. So you can't you you It's a hard time to kind of like imagine the way the spray feels and the smell feels and the you know the, the the sound is and the feel on your toes and the temperature you you know you don't have that part. you might see it on television you might see it in a movie, but you don't have many layers of the complexity in the ventral medial prefrontal cortex area you don't have a you don't have a way to think about that if you've always oh, grown up I in am. a hail of
0: bullets you know sure. And, Absolutely. So then you're, what you're saying is you're like when officer friendly comes to your school or whatever, or comes into you, you know, if you, if you, if you even have the ability to, to be in school for a period of time. And officer friendly is telling you about, the, you know, our self, self help system or, or positive thinking system. Uh, if, if your brain has never, uh experience experience that it, it would probably just reject it no differently than the body rejects uh, a virus uh, as a or case. you might
1: you might even laugh at it as being funny
0: wow. wow wow, wow, this is great stuff doc. This is awesome you are so awesome. Talk to me about this research how how recent is this research that has been done on poverty in the brain and the effects of that?
1: So, you know, this has been going on. The, the guy that's kind of at the core of this for has been doing this work for about the last twenty years is from Montreal in mm-hmm. Canada and his name is Michael Meany, M E A N E Y. And he has discovered that living in an impoverished situation and the way they the way they discovered it is by actually studies studies with with, with um rats that had different type of mothering. They found that some mothers were very attentive to the pups. They would lick them and groom them and go, and as soon as they would leave the nest, they'd go fetch them and bring them back in. So they were called the high-licking and high-grooming mothers. They would always be retrieving the pups. Then there was a group of other mothers that um, were very different. They were called the, They wouldn't go chasing them very much. They didn't lick the pups very much. They were called the low-licking and grooming mothers. So they they decided that they would test out to see whether this was in the DNA or whether this was just you know a behavior. So they took half the pups out of one mom's nest that was the high liquor and stuck it mm-hmm. into the low liquors, and then they took the other ones in the, from the low liquors and put them in the high liquors, and then they watched the babies of that next generation. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, now see if it was just in the genes, right? It was just out of that. Low-looking moms would end up having being low-looking moms, and mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. what happened. Mm. The opposite happened. The pups that were low-looking from that low-looking mom, but they'd been raised by a high-looking mom, they ended up being high-looking moms to their pups. Wow! Not low-looking. So they said, "Oh my God, what's going on?" Then they started looking at the DNA, and they realized that the experience of having a high-looking mom. Or a low-looking mom actually changes the way there's different the parts of your DNA, things that are stuck onto your DNA called methylation. So the structure of the DNA changes, and you actually pass that on for th-
0: three generations. Wow! Pass, you pass
1: it on. You pass on those changes in your DNA for three generations.
0: Oh, my gosh. And they made that correlation. That is unbelievable. So what? now
1: they've been looking at it in humans, and they've been trying to really know. So this sure. is where, you know, when I read those studies, I thought, oh, my God, you know what? We really have to do something to help those moms who are, you know, the human equivalents of low-licking moms, and often sure, those, sure. often those are moms. That, so in my world, I I treat women with depression, and I treat women with the postpartum depressions, and the, yeah, da- yeah, yeah. the dads with the postpartum depressions too. And
0: mm-hmm. basically,
1: I my goal is to try and help those parents. I mean, it's unlike rats. You don't teach a low-licking mom rat to become a high-licking mom rat, but you can teach a human mother or dad to be to be more less low looking if they're depressed you fix and you treat you treat and you fix their depression and then you can make them into the best mom or the best dad that they're capable of being and you help them with that. You train them in parenting. You you know you help them and you surround them with support and community to help them be the best mom or dad to that baby they can be. So mm-hmm. that's what my clinic does because I know that the equivalent for low looking moms in our humans is is postpartum depression and depression that happens in about one out of five moms mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, and
1: mm-hmm. in situations of poverty and so the biggest risk for that low-looking human mom depressed mom postpartum depressed mom is a teenage mom in the situation of poverty
0: in crisis sure
1: that's a 60 to 80 percent chance she's going to be a low-looking mom Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: wow wow that's huge.
1: And so I know that if we can get her into a program, and what I do is I identify these moms while they're pregnant. So we mm-hmm. we already know the risk factors. We got the we got the mm-hmm. listen, we we have the mathematical formula down. We know mm-hmm. who's going to be end up being a low-licking mom because she's got postpartum depression, mm-hmm. and we can mm-hmm. identify her during her pregnancy so that we can be ready to help support her then and to support her after the baby's born. And we get the dads involved. That's why we call it the parents' program. It's not just the mom's program. It's the parents' program because we want the dads involved.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And sometimes there's a guy that's the person who's in love with this woman may not even be the dad. Who cares? As long as he's going to be there and help support her and the baby, that's what's important. So you tell the tell the dads out there if you're if you're in love with some woman who's going to have a baby, whether it's yours or not. I mean, you know, maybe you want to be with her. You want to be there for her. You want to be here for the baby.
0: That's incredible. That's beautiful too, because that is a huge stigma. Um, amongst uh, 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 dads or men, uh, you know, not wanting to raise someone else's child, but not understanding that, that uh, is essential.
1: And then you know, the, maybe you're staying with that woman, and the next child is going to be your child as a guy. You I mean you know? Mm-hmm. And they'll be mm-hmm. they'll be half brothers or half sisters. You know what? Mm-hmm. The, the whole point is that you, as a guy, need to, you need to help stabilize the nest. If that's the woman you want to live your life with and she's got a child from somebody else, then big deal. Just get over it, dude. The next one can be your child. But, you know, if that's the woman you want to build your life with, then, you know, nothing's perfect. Just get over it and be the best dad you can to that child.
0: I love it. I love it. I know, you know, you, I know. I know you're
1: working hard on this, dude. I know you. Got, I know you all in your. I know that you. I'm in
0: the trenches. You're no I, I
1: know that you're devoted to this, and I'm really glad you're devoted to it because you know, dads. Since we're talking about Father's Day, I mean, we should. We should. We should make a bigger deal of Father's Day. We should dedicate the day to, to guys who are fathering children, fathering children. That are either their grandchildren fathering children that are are that's their right. biological that's children, right. their adopted children, right. their whatever children.
0: That's you know,
1: right. just the fathering of of fathering of the next generation it matters that's a absolutely. lot. They're your nieces and nephews. Did you know that your nieces and nephews are as genetically related? It
0: is. That's amazing. I
1: think that's important to know so that your your nieces and nephews are as they carry as many of your genes. As your grandchildren.
0: Wow! Wow! Okay, so obviously you have talked yourself back on the show again. <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, listen. Happy Happy Father's Day to all of you out there who are fathering children of all ages. Um, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. and 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 who are being being helpful to. Um, providing some safety and security for all of those moms who are trying hard to mother their children.
0: Mm. Well said, Doc, well said. Thank you so, so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. It's my Uh, pleasure,
1: and happy Father's Day again to all of you guys.
0: Thank you so much, All right, we'll We'll talk to you and your audience
1: soon. All right.
0: right. You take care. Thank
1: you for having me. Bye-bye.
0: Absolutely. Bye-bye.